Well, hello, Timberline family. Here we are. It's the weekend after Thanksgiving, and I'm speaking to all of you Timberliners, the ones in Fort Collins, in Windsor, in Weld County, in Larimer County, Cheyenne, Estes Park, Denver, and those scattered New York City, San Antonio, Beirut, Singapore, we could go on and on. Just having fun this morning and so great to be with you. We are uh, here in a series and I happen to be the caboose in the series. I'll explain what that means in just a moment. So there I stood, I was 10. I could have been 11, could have been 12. And I'm standing in front of my father in Oakland, California, and something has gone wrong from his perspective. And this is his question, or this is his statement. But Dick, you knew better. And my response was, yeah. Why did you do that? Oh, I knew better. Why when I had been told to do something or not to do something and I didn't follow through in an appropriate, obedient way, why did I do that? Well, because I wanted to. Because <laughs> I thought I might get away with it. Why I really did that was pride. So today, our theme is Pride Happened. We've just done a series of these messages under the, under the rubric, under the title of what just happened. Last week it was Pastor Derry on Gratitude Happened, and I'm bringing up the caboose. I'm the last guy, and it's Pride Happened. This word, this concept of being proud uh, might have a negative place initially, but it's not always that. It can be a positive statement. Uh, Jesus' baptism, I love this. Matthew and Mark both record Jesus being baptized and the Holy Spirit descending and his father saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what you call being proud of your boy. If I could go that far, I don't think that's being blasphemous in any way. And what's great about that is that Jesus, from our perspective at least, hadn't done any of the big stuff yet. Now, he'd done a lot of stuff, but the, the, this is not even about achievement. This is just, I'm, I'm proud to have you as a son, okay? There are other ways of getting at that. Uh, it's, I think it's fair and right to be able to say, Sally, I'm so proud of you because of your achievements. That's not a bad thing. That's outward focus, that's toward her. Some years ago when I was a new college president in California, I'm in my 30s and Ruth and I go to this big event and we met some friends. And uh, it was J. Robert Ashcroft and his wife, Grace. That's what they called him, J. Robert Ashcroft. They had a son named John who had just been uh, voted in as the governor of Missouri. And we're in the car driving along and I said, you guys must really be proud of John. And Grace, the mom, turned around, looked at us in the back seat and said, the word we use, Dick, is grateful. <laughs> and I, I'm saying, well, yeah, that's, that's the word I was going to say. But proud and grateful can go together when it's about someone other than yourself, okay? So we all know pride. We know what pride looks like. We know what it feels like. We have, we have experience in that arena. Not all of us, as I said a few weeks ago when talking about anger, 
Not all of us have known love, but all of us have known anger. Not all of us have known love, but all of us have known pride at some level. What's fascinating to me, and by the way, that was point one, if, you have, if you're taking notes, we all know pride. The original garden conversation, Genesis 3, that God is having with um, his folks, the first question that is asked doesn't come from God. The first question that is asked is this one. Now, he's having this conversation with Adam and Eve. They're arborists. Their, their role is to take care of this terrific garden, wherever it was and however it was, with whatever kind of trees there are and plants and all of that. They have been given two things. They've been given each other, and they've been given a job to do. And um, God has said, take care of this garden. Just don't, don't touch that tree in the middle there, the one with the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do that, you'll die. So out of all of the trees, that's the only one. And so here's the, here's the scripture, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, I love how this is phrased. Did, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And of course, you know what happens is that she just walks right into that. Because when we want to do something we're not supposed to do, we tend to add stuff on to make it stronger because we know we're not supposed to do it. And she just walks right into it and says, not only should we not eat of it, we shouldn't even touch it. And once she went there, she was in the enemy's territory because he's the master of lies and that was a lie. And you get to verse six of chapter three. It says that when the woman saw, woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Here's the logic. It's nutritious, looks good, makes me wise. What happened really was that the enemy made a not so subtle appeal to her independence what she needed apparently or wanted to establish her value, but at the core of that was that he made an appeal to her pride. I can do this. Let me just tell you about the nutritional side of that equation. The only thing that the fruit from the garden feeds in this context is pride. That's what it feeds. The Apostle John years later echoes this. 1 John 2.16, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. When you disconnect the idea of proud from God, it goes one direction. It turns inward. When proud doesn't apply that way or to those around you, but it applies to yourself, that's when the idea, the inherently evil part of pride, the debilitating, the disconcerting, the disconnecting, the fracturing kind of effect happens when it turns inward. It merges with other expressions, actually, synonyms for pride, 
expressions of self-centeredness, because pride's all about self, like conceit, arrogant, haughtiness, those words all emanate from what happens when pride kicks in. Counselor has said this, the heart of pride is focused on self. Prideful people believe they deserve better than what life has brought them. They become sorrowful, resentful, even jealous of other people and their successes. Pride, pride breeds self-pity, which is a major component in depression. And typically people who struggle with pride will live life based on how they feel and expect everyone else to accommodate them and adapt to their moods. Two key characteristics of pride are independence and rebellion. So that's almost too much for me to get my puny pea brain around. But whatever is going on with pride, it ain't good, okay? You say, so what does Jesus have to say about pride? Which is the key point because we're Jesus followers. Last week, Pastor Derry related the story from Luke 17 about the 10 lepers who came to Jesus were healed and only one, the one they probably didn't expect, came back. You find that in Luke's writing, Luke 17. In the very next chapter, because Jesus is on his way, this is toward the end of his earthly life, he's on his way from Galilee down through Samaria over to Jericho up to Jerusalem, and he's having these conversations, observations, telling truths, telling stories. And when you get to Luke 18, he confronts some people. Now, and you've heard me say this a hundred times here at Timberline. This is not baby Jesus meek and mild. This is, this is the truth teller who comes at people, in this case, religious leaders, who are supposed to be giving people access to God, pointing them this way to goodness and life and light and joy and peace. But they're not. They're blocking it because they say, well, we know how this works. They're proud about their role, and he comes at them like that. This is how it reads in Luke, the 18th chapter, the 9th through the 14th verses. And if you have your Bibles or you have this on your device or your phone, please uh, look at it with me. Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now, I don't know if there was a special section for those guys or they just knew it. So he was saying it in his own heart and mind for them. Here's the, here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, religious leader, lawyer, if you will, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So just, just a little explanation about the context. Uh, prayer was a vital part of Jewish religious life. Temple prayer was seen as particularly efficacious, particularly uh, valuable. I saw a little piece, a uh, YouTube piece by a uh, Capuchin Catholic father who was talking about this, really fascinating. And he said that, that there was only one fast that was really obligatory, obligatory, and that was a day of atonement. But these folks really wanted to do better. And so he fasting twice a week and giving a 10th of what he gets to the poor. And so here he is standing with his hands like this, tax collectors over there on his face, beating his chest, right? And, and he goes on to pray. The problem is he's not praying. He's giving his resume in a loud voice apparently so that others can know just how great he really is. And that's the point of pride, isn't it? Is that prayer is not talking to God or talking to you or pride is not talking to God or talking to you. Pride is me talking to me. That's a very lopsided conversation. And I would submit it's boring, but that's, that's a thought for another message down the road. So anytime something goes I and me and myself, that's not healthy. I have a friend in California who's a retired sp um, speech communications professor from a college. He told me one time, he said, I, and he's a Japanese American. He said, I have a sister who is stunning. She's gorgeous. So a lot of fellows would like to date her and they would come and she got a pattern. She had a pattern that when they came back in the days when dating was more in vogue than it is now, and he'd come to the door, get her, they'd go down to the car, he'd open the door, she'd get in, sit down, and he'd climb in and she would put one hand down here beside, beside her thigh and as they took off and started driving to the restaurant or the movie, wherever they were going, she would listen to him talking. And every time he would say, I or me, she would just tabulate that with her hand, how many times that was. And in the first 10 or 15 minutes, if she got up there, 10, 15, 20, it was going to be a long, long night. There's something about, the, about pride that just shrinks my world. So... What does it look like? Well, if pride were an animal, point two, if pride were an animal, it would have a mouth and no ears. A mouth and no ears. Because it would sure talk, just wouldn't listen, right? Proverbs 12, 15 says it this way. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. I think one of the prayers of my life, even at this age, is to Lord, let me, let me stop talking, which for me is no small challenge. That's like a big deal for me to not talk and listen. But what is it about listening and getting input and advice in moments in time that helps us? It, it means that I care about myself, but I'm not centered in myself. Point three, pride is a virus that blinds. We're in a day in a worldwide pandemic when this unseen microbe is floating around in the atmosphere in 
all kinds of configurations apparently, and we're trying to find ways to blunt it, and there are certain things we've done and so forth that help with that. But this is not just any old virus, pride. Pride is a virus that blinds us. You say, what do you mean it blinds us? Well, it doesn't let, it doesn't let me see you. It doesn't let me see others. It takes away my capacity to see certainly God, but also on the, uh, on, the, on the backstroke, it takes away my capacity to see you. So in, when I look at you, I overlook you, or I look past you, or I look through you. I don't see you. That's what pride does. Point four, pride gives no room to God. No room. The psalmist captured it perfectly when he said it this way, in his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. This isn't just the story of no room for baby Jesus in Bethlehem at Christmas time. What pride does is in all my thoughts, there's no space, there's no room for God. This is like what happened at the turn of the last century in the late 1800s, that what we call German rationalism came into churches and came into universities so that whatever might point toward an objective being outside of myself was taken out of the curriculum. And German rationalism became an infection that took away the capacity for people to even, at some, in some cases, desire to see God. Uh, Jerry Root, Dr. Jerry Root is a professor at Wheaton College, and, and he had a great little YouTube piece where he was giving lectures on C.S. Lewis. He's a specialist, a scholar in C.S. Lewis's writings. And uh, Pastor Brent shared this with me. I thought it was terrific. Uh, Jerry Root said, I was brought up in South Central Los Angeles, and we didn't have any money. And he said, I was fascinated by the cafeteria um, food that you had to have 31 cents to get a meal in the cafeteria. And we never had 31 cents, so my mom would fix a sandwich and put a piece of fruit in a cookie or something, and that's what. But one day I went to my mother, and she gave me 31 cents for the cafeteria food. And he said, I was so excited. He said, I thought about it all day, made sure I had it in my pocket. And he said, but I'd never been to a cafeteria. And I walked up, and they had those bars, you know, that tray rack. And I watched the girl in front of me. She got a tray, and then she put it on there. And then she came to the first thing, which is green beans. And he said, I, I hate green beans. But she apparently didn't like them either. And she said to the lady, you know, the cafeteria lady who has the white dress and some smears on the front as he framed it. And he said, um, the girl said, I'll take a small portion of green beans. He said, I've always loved language. I've loved words, but as a kid, I'm just a kid. And I had never heard portion before. So I wanted to use it. So she got hers and I went on. I followed her and I said, and I'll take a small portion too. And then he said, I came to the, I, apparently portion was a mount or something. And I came to the end and they had chocolate cake and it was just finely cut in two inch squares or whatever it was. But I love chocolate cake. And so I said, I said to, to the lady, I'd like a large portion of chocolate cake. And he said, she cut the largest piece of chocolate cake I'd ever seen in my life. It was tremendous. And he said, 
the challenge when C.S. Lewis talks about pride is that the portion for God in my life is small because the portion of me has crowded him out. So pride gives no room for God. Fifthly, if I ask the question, so what's the antidote? I mean, if this is a virus, where's the vaccine for this sucker? How does that work? Well, the vaccine that prevents the virus is one thing, humility, humility. I'm gonna read you a number of verses here in a row. It's more important for you to hear the scriptures than it is to hear my comment on scriptures. I can almost hear amens ricocheting around the country as I say that. But here's the, here's the deal, vaccine that prevents the virus, humility. First Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I, I don't know how many messages I've preached that God is for us, he's with us, he comes to save us. But here's one place where God's not for me. It says that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Second scripture, Proverbs 2, excuse me, Proverbs 27, 2. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider, not your own lips. I have to tell you this, when I speak in various places over the years, people sometimes are so kind and they'll come up and say, um, you know, that, that thing you said really helped me. And I say, what thing was that? And they'll say a phrase, and it wasn't even in my notes. It was like a throwaway line. It's like the Holy Spirit says, why don't we take that thing that you didn't really have focused and we'll put it over here with Mrs. Jones and it'll work out. So let's go with that. Sometimes people would come through. These were a little more bold because we used to stand in the back of the auditorium, shake hands, and they'd say something like, Pastor, now what I'm about to say, I'm going to say in love which means you're gonna get nailed to the wall. That, that's what that means. But this right here says, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth and outsider, not your own lips. For me, when I speak like this, if we get in the car, and Ruth and I usually had an agreement that we wouldn't talk about the message till Monday, when these were Sunday messages. But if she looked at me and says, if she looks at me and says, Dick, that was powerful. That's the only praise I need. That's the only, because that sounds like God to me when she says that. That's how that works. Romans 12, 3, listen to how it reads. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, this is the apostle Paul who needed a lot of grace because he was a terrorist, right? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Romans 12, 16, same writing from Paul. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So this is humility. This is not David Copperfield's character, Uriah Heep, who says, oh, I'm so humble, I'm just so humble. It's not that. Humility is that space between thinking more of myself than I ought and thinking less of myself than I ought. When I think more of myself than I ought to think, God says, folks, stop that. When I think less of myself than I ought 
Foth, God says, Foth, I designed you for better. You're my design. Do not put yourself way down there. Put yourself right here. Be comfortable in your own skin. Know who you are because you have followed me and you've gotten input from those who love you. That puts you in a place of humility. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing, Paul again talking, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Finally, one last, one last scripture verse, one of my favorite psalms, which my doctor friend Bob Homburg calls the biochemist psalm, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. This is, this is the psalm that starts out, Lord, you know me. You know my sitting down and my going out. You know all my ways. You know my words before I even think them. This is how he ends the psalm. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting been almost 20 years ago now that I and a doctor friend from Annapolis, Maryland flew from Washington, D.C. to Kolkata, India. We were there for several days and during our time, we decided one morning by invitation to go to the early morning prayers at the mother house for this famous woman now, this Macedonian Albanian woman by the name of Mother Teresa. So we went there, there were maybe 50 novitiates, young women who were coming into the order sitting on the concrete and they were having morning prayers and scripture. And so my friend Jim and I sat down on the concrete, 4.30 in the morning, 4.30 or 5, very early. And, uh, and, we, and we participated, went on for about an hour. And at the end of the time, when it was done, we got up and turned to go out and sitting in the back of the room, about 20 feet away from us was Mother Teresa in her wheelchair. She had had some heart problems. And so she was in a wheelchair and the friend who was with us knew her well, and we went out on a little porch area. And Jim and I knelt down beside her wheelchair. And just, you know, we were in the presence of, I don't use this word very often, often, awesomeness, right? Here's this little wizened lady, shrunken by age and small already, with these rough hewn hands that were used to working and helping and carrying and caring for the dying. And we, we knelt by her, and at one point the doctor said, uh, Mother, just want to thank you for all you've done for so many people around the world and the example you've been to us and you're helping the dying and caring for the sick and feeding the hungry and taking care of the poor. And Mother Teresa reached over and patted his hand and looked at him very kindly and said, pray that I don't get in the way of the work of God. And we kept talking for a few more minutes. And then my friend Jim again said, Mother, thank you so much for all you've done for folks around the world. And she reached out again and patted his hand and just said, just pray that I don't get in the way of the work of God. If you are humble and not proud, I will guarantee you this. You and I will not get in the way of the work of God his redemptive, powerful work in the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for 
the model we have in Jesus. Thank you for the model we have in the tax collector and outcast who beat his chest and said, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm not worthy to be in this space, but apparently I get to be worthy of your grace. Lord, I ask for all of us in Northern Colorado, Northern Colorado and around the world that we walk in humility and not in pride. And in so doing, that we not get in the way of your work in this world in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in his grace.